Greetings, Wargamers. We're your hosts, Trevor, Jay, Josh, and this is Shane Attack. Attack. is sponsored by Discount Games Incorporated. Discount Games Incorporated specializes in customer service, low prices, and prompt shipping. You can find our web store at www.discountgamesinc.com. Chain Attack. I'm your host Trevor, and I I really suck at Rogue Legacy too. I don't know why I bought that game. What 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 game is it? Rogue Legacy two. If you if you've played Rogue Legacy one, it's it's a roguelite side scroller <laughs> where the point is is when you die, you're forced to choose a offspring that has your potential some genetic makeup. Basically, they they sort of look like the previous guy, and they have some of the attributes. Anyway, and, and then new things open up. And um, Rogue Legacy 2 is far better than Rogue Legacy 1. If you enjoyed Rogue Legacy 1 and you weren't aware that there's a Rogue Legacy 2, you should go out and buy it. It's fantastic. It's I did not enjoy the first one. I am enjoying the second one. But I suck. I've been I've I've killed so many characters. The worst part is it like it gives them random names, but there's a limit to the number of names. And when you hit the name a second time, it just gives them a second or a third. Like, the second, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it gives them like Bob this, you know, the second or Bob the third. And so I can clearly see my numbers going up, but not me advancing in the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited for when you get to like Bob the. 128. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I'm Jay. I have not been playing a roguelike game. I have been uh, playing Arc Nova, however. <laughs> all day long. It's all you do. That's not all I do. <laughs> but I am up to, I've, I've now played, uh, there, so there's eight player mats, and they're double-sided, and so there's basically 10 different maps that you can play and i've now officially played all 10 uh, <laughs> maps you should clarify that a little bit the other sides there's four of the same map and four of the same map so that's why there's 10 yes yeah yeah the four initial maps are the easiest then there's some like a little more advanced and then the, the back sides of all of them are all unique i've played two of the back sides mm. what's what's been your do you, uh, do you feel like now that you've played all of them do you feel like they're well balanced or are there some that are clearly superior to the others um you know i don't know what to say about that because you know as an example the one that i ended up playing last was one that you played okay where you can ignore a condition uh-huh. requirement on putting out an animal yeah and i had i'd kind of considered that one to be probably one of the weaker options because when we had played you said that it never really well, came up well it didn't come up because of the cards that came up exactly yeah yeah and and that's certain well and so I, I guess one of the one of the things that has somewhat helped is that i've in order to 
do better at being able to get conservation projects or things for special abilities, stuff like that. One of the, uh, when I back a conservation project so that I get my regular benefit during the income phase, one of the ones that I've been backing more frequently has been the option to snap something from the anywhere on the, the card uh, uh-huh. row. Uh-huh. So that's helped some. And this time when I played it, I'll also say that one of the one of the strategies I've been using is that I haven't really been upgrading the animal card. And so right. that one let me take uh, do animals that I had that required the animal card to upgrade. And turns out some of those are kind of ridiculously strong. There, there are some strong ones. But yeah, I, I that's so that's one of the things I did as well. Um, when I had that that race or that yeah. that map, I chose that's the one card I chose not to upgrade was the animals one because right yeah the really the only benefit I mean it does let you play more animals but sometimes that's just not worth it. Um, and the other thing it does is let you play upgraded animals and I'm like well if I don't even need the card to play upgraded animals, but yeah. then I know I don't think I ever got an upgraded animal in that game. And I got I got two or three. Um, yeah, I got three. One, one gave me when I played it, this was like an opening play of mine. It, you play it, it was, it, and it immediately gave me an extra worker. Um, oh, that'd be pretty- yeah, it was pretty good at the start. And then there was one that let me draw, draw two from the, the private secret objectives and keep one. And so instead of having one secret objective at the end, I had two. Uh, which is a big scoring opportunity, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was I got to go through the the other stack of uh, objectives and pick one and put it in my hand. And so the the cards ended up coming up such that it it worked out for me. But huh. it is one I could see being pretty dependent on what comes up in the deck. So. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so things from Discount Games Inc. Uh, there's, there is Atomic Mass Games announced something that I thought was, was kind of cool. So some of their legacy products, so for example, they have a box set for Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight that it's, it's $40. And then they have a box set of, um, Black Dwarf and Ebony Maw, which is $50. And they've been out for a while now. And they're coming out with a box set that is basically the Black Order affiliation pack. And it gives you all four models instead of $90, it's $60 for uh, the those four models. And so I'm guessing there's going to be other ones like that coming down the pipeline. But I thought that was um, an interesting strategy move from Atomic Mass Games. So... Um, we, we can do one other quick i guess we should say in in this podcast we we talked about it in the other uh one but josh is just a few days away from the vote on his primary and so he's he's busy trying to get the last push won't be on this one or, or probably the next one as well um but we're hopeful that he's going to uh do well in his election um I <laughs> I'm kind of curious on your opinion on something Trevor so I I engaged in an argument on Discord because I am a fool. <laughs> okay. But so there's this there's an individual who 
would you know go into the discords and would tell people you know you should when you're playing marvel crisis protocol you should you know buy boxes based on what models you like but you should never do it based on what cards are in the box and if you want a card just go and print it off and so i would say something like well you know i i feel like if you're playing a casual game with a friend or you know etc if you want to use print cards you know whatever but i i do feel like if you're uh playing in an event or going to a convention that you should actually own the card and you know if, if money's tight you can look at borrowing one from a friend or you know whatever and you know he he was he had a very firm stance of you know if you should not 3d print models or do that but it's it's fine to uh print out cards and and I would be like, well, you know, I mean, either you're, you're what you're doing is piracy and intellectual property theft, and you know, I think that it it I it feels weird to me that you feel that like Dallas's work is worthy of respect and <laughs> remuneration, but Pagani's work as a game designer is not. But you know, finally, I ended up blocking the person, and I I will not have the temptation to have these discussions. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, do you have any? Uh, I, I'm assuming that that Atomic Mass has said nothing about this. I mean, they like don't. They, even, they don't have a card database, right? They, they don't have a place they, where you can go to look up these cards. No, they don't. It's it's you know player generated that you can uh, go do that. Oh really? There's a there's a player like website there, out there that allows you to yes. look up cards and print them. Well, it allows you to look them up. But it's not that hard to then print them. Uh, well, I guess where do you know where they're getting the actual scan of the card? I, I I don't know. So here's here's my opinion. So this is really dependent upon the publisher because uh-huh. clearly some publishers have cards available on their site and they yes. more than are willing to endorse that you print them off. Yes. But I agree with you. It is a copyright issue if you go and take something that is copyrighted and print it for your own use without permission. That that is clearly against the law. Now that said, have I ever printed something from an RPG that I wasn't allowed to legally? Yes, um, probably multiple times. So am I a hypocrite here? I don't know. But I mean, I've my co- most common thing I do is I'll print like the character creation section so that I don't have to share one book with all of my friends during character creation. Is right, that fair, yeah. or should I make them all go out and buy a book? I don't know. I mean, this is not an easy subject, but I. I mean, I'm kind of of the the opinion th- that in a tournament environment where you are using copyrighted material, you should have the official material. Yeah. So and as far as but it, it, I, was, it was sort of funny. I, he 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 was like, you know, I I would use the term like you're you are pirating stuff, you are stealing copyrighted material, and he was he would be just like get super upset at me. He's like, you need to stop saying that I'm pirating or stealing or whatever. And I'm like, well. <laughs> I'm sorry that this hurts your feelings. That I am accurately describing what you're doing, but if you want me to stop saying that you're pirating, then stop pirating. <laughs> I mean, take take that card with its copyright notice and go down to Kinko's or you know or uh, Staples and try to get them to copy it. Right. They won't, and they shouldn't because yeah. it's illegal. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, the part of me is is 
I, I am sympathetic a little bit to him because I feel like in this particular case, they I feel like Atomic Mass should make those cards available to everyone. You shouldn't have to buy a box set for a card that you might be using with another one. But that is on them, not on me, and I will have to play within their rules. It is their well, intellectual also, property, and they have the right to do with it whatever they please. I mean, it is similar to the person who says, and, and he one of the things that he frequently said was, you know, I think that they're I think this is a predatory business practice, and so. You know, I shouldn't have to follow it. And, you know, it, it sounds about as mature to me as someone who says, you know what, I don't like Activision's business practices. And so I'm just going I'm to pirate going to steal games. their games. Yeah. And, you know, what, if, if, if that's what you decide to do, I mean, I guess you do you. But in don't expect me to give you like a gold star on your effing forehead. <laughs> Yeah, so he's you know he's trying to take moral high ground where there is none. I mean, if he if he really doesn't like their competitive their what he considers yeah, don't play the effing game. Then don't play the game. There's other games you should be playing instead. Yeah. But if you're going to play by their rules, you've got to live by their rules. It's just the way it is. Anyways, but yeah, I I I do love that that Privateer Press, for example, has made a card database and right. basically said you know if you want to use cards, print them off, whatever you know. Um, well, I mean, they don't even come with cards at this point yeah so i do like that business model and i will support that business model with my money but you still can't just ignore copyright law because it doesn't fit your yeah, i don't <laughs> i don't like your business practices like i don't know it's, if someone was like came into gameopolis and said you know i don't like the way that you do business so i'm going to open up this board game pull out <laughs> yeah, i'm going to steal this board game off your shelf <laughs> and and then walk <laughs> out i mean what <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing as someone saying, well, I don't like your shipping you know, policies on your website, so I'm going to hack your website and remove the shipping fees and yeah. get you to ship it to me for free. I, oh, I, okay, this is, I have to do another side rant. I'm sorry, we've had things planned out on a topic, but, uh, you know, I've, we've, we've gotten set up now to where um, we, we have an app that is connecting our inventory on our website to eBay and to Amazon. Okay. And it's, it's selling, we're selling it at a higher price on those channels because of the fees. Right. Um, but some of the Amazon customers are just the absolute effing dregs of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> just doing some of the scummiest things and, and Amazon always sides with them. And so two examples of things that they do, one is they'll order, you know, a codex that is sealed in shrink wrap and has a promo code inside it. They'll open up the shrink wrap, take the promo code, and then return the book. And, and Amazon will always side with them on returning the book. Another example of things that they do is, you know, they have WizKids does boosters of D&D minis that are randomized. They will open up the boosters, and if they don't like the pull that they got of, from the randomization, initiate a return, and again, Amazon will always side with them on the return. And Even so, on opened and used product. Yes. Ugh. So there's there's some uh, categories of product that we've just you know we're not after uh, many difficult financial lessons <laughs> we do not <laughs> post on those channels but uh people are just the the, the worst sometimes 
Oh gosh. So not to not to give people ideas of <laughs> <laughs> how to scam These... your competitors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Trevor, so we we played in a mouse guard one shot this previous weekend. Yes. And we were going to talk a little bit about what we thought of the game and the system, uh, etc. So do you want to start us off? Sure. So Mouse Guard is a graphic novel uh, that was written, gosh, probably 15 years ago at this point, I'm guessing. Um, it was quite successful. It's quite good if you like uh, graphic novels. You should go pick it up and read it. Um, and then about 11 years ago, back when the Burning Wheel was hot topic um, as an RPG, they uh, made a secondary book based in the Burning Wheel um, set or system uh, for the Mouse Guard RPG. Uh, back then, I bought a copy of it, um, and I think we even played a one-shot of it, or tried to. Yeah, I think um, we might have. I think I've also, around that time, I, I probably bought the burning wheel setting for dune as well or read through it at least yeah i don't i don't remember it was i mean it was all the rage back in 2009 2010 time for um anyway so uh fast forward a little bit they made a second edition of the um mouse guard rpg um a few years back at 2017 2018 i'm not sure um and that's what we ended up playing so mouse guard is a a setting where um, there is uh, some animals who have been um, anthropomorphized. anthropomorphized. Yes, and then there are some that have not. So some examples of animals that have been anthropomorphized are mice, uh, weasels. I'm trying to remember the other ones. There's there's several others. And then there's a bunch that haven't, things like snakes and, and turtles and, and a bunch of insects, etc. And these animals have their own little kingdom. It is very much a, uh, I would say, a fairly harsh fantasy setting. Um, they use swords, shields, um, you know, sort of a late Middle Ages It setting. feels like it's kind of in, set in the Dark Ages to me. Yeah. Not that that's a, a term that you're supposed to use anymore i guess but it, it feels like um that you're kind of struggling to survive in this harsh reality and the mouse guard is almost true? yeah it's quite harsh and the the mouse guard is the <clears throat> the knights of the round table i guess that's not really the right term in a way because it's more like the black guard <clears throat> but they're they are the uh, the watchers who go out, they they patrol, they um, watch for, and in times of war, they they are the military. Um, so, and yes, it is quite harsh. The the system, not just the system, but the setting, um, embraces plague, death, uh, etc. You know, it is definitely um, a very low fantasy style setting for, like 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 Jay said, more of a a dark ages style, but with mice as the main characters um there's royal families within it there's um leaders there's uh, wars with the weasels etc um it's quite it is quite interesting and if it sounds even remotely interesting i would highly encourage anyone to go read the graphic novels they're they're quite good um so anyway that that's kind of the setting and it is it does use the burning wheel system which in, in you know is is a d6 based system where fours fives and sixes are successes 
and you build a pool of dice and then you roll those dice looking for successes. Um, sometimes there are things that allow your sixes to explode and to roll more dice. Uh, but at the core, it's really just a system of um, skills that are balanced or you that you use together to roll a, a pool of dice. Um, there are some additional things, some stuff that I think it, it either lent to or stole from fudge, for example, where you have traits and other things that allow you to sort of adjust those pools or to get uh, exploding sixes, for example. And it does lean heavily on um, characters working together and adding dice pools together. Um, you know, like a a character who's decent at a at a skill will have three dice and quite frequently you know the base will kind of be two successes which means that character on average is going to fail if they don't get some support so it can be a little harsh that way as well but it, it, it does follow the burning wheel setting quite a bit um burning wheel in during combat you pick maneuvers uh secretly and then the maneuvers are revealed and then depending on on sort of a i don't want to i don't want to minimize it by calling it rock paper scissors but it does have some rock paper scissor style mechanics to it yeah um and and so then you resolve the combat based on roles based on how that rock paper scissors interaction played out um one of the things that i never liked about burning wheel and something that we did not use in this one shot over the weekend was the social combat and i always felt like this was it was sort of clunky and didn't really fit well and i'm sure some groups got it to work well but it was the same sort of thing you would pick it works on the same sort of you know rock paper scissors combat mechanics where you would pick a a verbal attack or a verbal defense or a verbal feint or whatever it happens to be and then you would roll dice and i just never really cared for mechanical negotiation or mechanical verbal combat in any system not just this one i've had it it's in other systems as well and i've never really cared for it i would rather role play it or if i'm really not good at convincing people but my character is you know having a much quicker mechanic to resolve it rather than these actions and counteractions and lots of dice rolls to resolve it. i don't know how, how did you feel about the rules i mean you can tell that it kind of comes from the you know indie rpg tradition mm-hmm. um and I would say that I'm I'm probably prone to uh, view favorably on those that genre of games. Um, it does feel like it's it's probably, and I guess you would probably be a, a better person to say if this statement is true or not. But it's it's probably a little bit more on the crunchier end of um, of that genre. Is that that true or false? No, that's a pretty true statement. I would think it. it, you know, I, it that, that, have, that whole it has it. It does have actual mechanical things that are happening as opposed to just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of it's, instead of I I say a word and it adds a dice to this big huge pool that we all roll at the end to feel happy. Yeah, it, it it's not it's not um, the extreme end of the indie you know revolution that it feels like it's sort of died off at this point. But there was definitely a good ten years there where indie rpgs were keeping the industry alive um and uh there was definitely some (laughs) massive experimentation going on uh yeah this is you know one of the more crunchy versions of all of those uh but i would i would never call this system let me put it yeah 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 yeah. if i'm you know if you're going to talk about crunch in rpgs 
this is on the crunching scale of the indie RPGs, not on the crunching scale of RPGs. I would say this is actually light in comparison to the average RPG. So, but I, there's many things I really like about this system. It does, it does a lot of things like fudge does in that character creation really tries to build relationships and real interesting characters um, during character creation that have something going on in between them. It really does its best to try to create a world that you feel like you can interact with, um, even if you don't know a lot about the world. So Fudge, yeah. Fudge also does that quite well, and I that is the great part of this RPG. What uh, I guess, what do you think of uh, um, of this game versus Fudge, which I I would guess is kind of the um, the natural comparison to compare it to? Is that true? I don't know. Um, it does feel like it to me that it's kind of a good comparison. I mean, rather than pluses and minuses, you're just working on successes. But uh, many of the attributes and the way that characters are created feels it feels very fudge-like to me. Yeah, and I, for whatever reason, it kind of feels to me that it is a little bit more intuitive, maybe than fudge is more intuitive than Burning Will. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, fudge combat is probably more intuitive. The Burning Will combat is. I think it takes some time to really understand what's going on and how to play it. Um, I, I don't know. There's things about Fudge that's not very intuitive to your traditional RPG player. I think Fudge may be more intuitive to a new RPG player, but somebody who's played a lot of D&D would probably understand Burning Wheel quicker than they would Fudge. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess it's it's a little bit hard for me to uh, make the comparison because I do like the mouse guard setting quite a bit. I think it's cool, but my main fudge experience has been with the, the Dresden files. And it feels like uh-huh. the character creation process, the city creation process, et cetera, with the Dresden files was just oh, really cool and really yeah, fun. It's fantastic. It, it, the, you're correct. The character creation and, and setting creation in Dresden files is superior to what you get in mouse guard. It, it is better. It's, it's so good that it's one of those things where you want to like, you want to somehow take it into whatever game you're playing almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so our, our friend who, who ran this song Sue, um, he came up with the adventure for us. Um, and I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, it was, we, we kind of had to go on a, a delivery quest to to take some plague medicine to another city uh, and hijinks ensue. Um, <laughs> but I guess what was your what were your thoughts on the uh, uh, adventure or what we played? Um, so he was testing it for a convention. Uh-huh. So I'm going to I'm going to judge it in that light because I feel like um, that maybe it could have taken a little bit longer and we could have had a little bit more hijinks, but he was yeah, set. Yeah. He was trying to complete it in a very particular timetable. Um, yeah. So I did feel like it maybe was a little bit rushed at the end. And maybe that was partially because we felt rushed um, to accomplish the task. Um, but I think overall it turned out quite well. I think it was very enjoyable. Um, we only had one combat, but, Sorry, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and talk about combat for just a second. One of the things that Mouse Guard does is that you have sort of a party health pool, and it's not necessarily health per se. It's more of a, uh, I would call it like a willpower pool, and you have kind of a stated goal. 
Uh, but it can also be other types of things. But anyway, as you fight, you lose from your pools, and the, what you're fighting loses from theirs. And if your opponent loses all of their pool, your goal happens, which in our case, it was a fight with a snake, and the snake's goal was to get us out of its burrow, and our goal was to drive the snake back deeper into its burrow. So when we um, ran out of our resource, we got pushed out. Um, and so there was some consequences for that, which actually ended up being physical damage, but it, it uses sort of a less than, it's it's not a mm-hmm. set in stone sort of concept of hit points that some people might be used to. I think from a storytelling perspective, it is far superior to, the, to a hit points style mechanic. Um, but I think that in some situations, it might be difficult to create a believable uh, risk and reward mechanic for certain fights so um it can be a struggle i know that when i ran burning wheel games um and i don't i never ran just core burning wheel there's other systems that were based in burning Wheel. i struggled with this as a gm i think sung did a great job of setting this combat up and making it feel important but i know as a, a gm sometimes that situation can be difficult to make it feel right because a lot of times players want it to be you know black and white of we get killed or they get killed you know that's the result of combat and it, it can be difficult to get past that i guess is the D mentality yeah yeah but it makes for far better stories yeah i mean it would be almost silly if we had killed the snake and it certainly wouldn't have been fun if the snake had swallowed all the mice <laughs> 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 I guess that's memorable too. Sometimes yeah. you have to jade strike the end. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> <sighs> Amazing. <laughs> uh is there is there anything else that you're uh wanting to I guess go over or discuss or with with Mouse Card? No, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I will mention that for those that maybe didn't weren't aware, like I wasn't aware that there was a second edition of Mouse Guard, I actually have no clue what the differences are between first and second edition. I know there's some changes, but I, I had been so long since I played the first one that I did not I didn't detect them. I like they didn't stand out to me. And I I think I would have to probably grab the old book and actually sit down and like spend some time because they just weren't clear. It's it is very much just a refinement of the original. So, which is not a bad thing. Sometimes that's the better way to approach an RPG edition. Yeah. So, no, I, I, uh, if that sounds interesting to you, so something like maybe something you'd like in playing with your friends or family, I would encourage you guys to go out and look at it. So, all right. So, both of us completed some legacy games, not with each other. Uh, <laughs> but we were going to talk a little bit about some of our thoughts with them. Um, so Trevor, why don't you go first? You, you did Clank Legacy. Yeah. Um, I guess first off, so, uh, because I am a bad person who does not like to learn board games, I've not played Clank. Um, okay. Would you, how, how would you describe Clank and would you say, how would you rank it amongst deck building games? Okay. So Clank is a deck building game, uh, where it's a sort of, it has a pressure luck mechanic, you uh, leave, everybody leaves from a certain location on the map, and you delve down into the dungeon, and you're basically taking stuff out of the dungeon, 
Um, there's a dragon in the dungeon, so every time you steal a artifact from the dragon or from... There's also dragon eggs, so if you steal any of those, then the risk gets ramped up. Um, so during your turn, you're basically playing some cards. Cards have uh, two different resources on them, plus some text on them usually. The two resources... Are, uh, excuse me, three resources. There is movement, um, attack, or swords. I'm actually not sure what the game calls them but there's sword icons on the cards and the last one is skill and skill is what you buy more gear and cards with um, movement is how you move around the map and uh, swords is how you attack there's there's also creatures in the card row that you buy from and you can attack those creatures there's also some uh, creatures based on the board that sort of impede your movement so anyway those are the the resources you'll play your hand you'll resolve movement attacks and then buy some cards. So it's it's kind of that part of it is a very standard card building deck building game. Um, the part where it's different is that some cards have a dragon attack on them, and anytime they do, they you pull some cubes out of the bag, and if they're your color, they do damage to you. The way the cubes get in there is if you make noise or clank, they go into the bag. So there are cards. Um, one of them, uh, I'll give you an example. I can't remember if it's in the base game. I think it is, but it's definitely in the legacy game. There's a card called Bark Skin Boots. And the Bark Skin Boots lets you move through forest without having to stop, and they have like two movement on But they're bark skin, so clearly they're noisy, so they create clank. And you put your clank out onto the board, and then um, anytime a dragon attack happens, the clank from the board gets put into the bag, and then you pull these cubes out. And there's some black cubes in there as well that don't do anybody, don't do damage to anyone. And basically, your goal is to get down into the dungeon, steal artifacts, steal dragon eggs, etc., get back out of the dungeon and back to the home base before you get killed. And sometimes you do it, you try to do it quickly enough that your opponents get killed. So if you, if you do it, one of the strategies of Clank is to get down into the dungeon as quick as you can, grab something, and run back. Because once you've completed your personal quest of going and getting stuff, there's an automatic dragon attack on your turn every turn. So if you run back as quick as you can, the dragon attacks start happening. Anyway, Clank is a fairly light, easy to pick up, easy to play. Um, it has some randomness to it based on dragon attacks, but you control what Clank goes into the bag, and so you can sort of control. But there is a pressure luck element to it, on uh, whether you can continue going deeper into the dungeon or whether you need to turn around and go back. Um, if you get trapped underground um, and killed there, you get no points whatsoever. If you make it above ground, but not back to the base, you get whatever points you have in hand. But if you make it back to the base, you get a big bonus for returning uh -huh. home with all of your stuff. So there's there's a lot of pressure luck to it, which is the part that I really enjoy. Um, but it's a very simple, easy to understand, and very fun um, deck building game. So the legacy version of it, um, I, I would say as far as deck building games go, it is one of my more favorite ones. Um, it's it's quick and easy to understand. There's there's strategies you can employ. Um, there's a lot of really cool combos you can put together. Um, and much like all the others, Dominion, etc. There's big scorecards that do not, that just sort of um, take up your deck. I mean, it's just it's built upon the foundation of all the other ones. So it just does it really well. It's it, the game's quick, etc. So if if you're looking for something that you can play with maybe even a little bit younger crowd or maybe non-gamers, I think it's fairly easy to understand, um, quick to explain, and it's a lot of fun. So 
the legacy version is based in the uh, Penny Arcade Acquisitions Incorporated universe. Your your player group is a Acquisitions Incorporated franchise, and you're basically competing against each other to be employee of them. But the game mechanics are the same. You're going into the dungeon, you're grabbing loot, and you're trying to bring it back um, to help you know the the Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, earn money for the month additionally there's some side quests that come up and other things that happen that are not part of the base game but part of the um, legacy game that are just there if you enjoy penny arcade humor if you enjoy penny arcade acquisitions incorporated especially this this is a no-brainer you should be playing this even if you don't um like my um there's no i will say that it's kid-friendly there's no uh penny arcade swearing which is traditional for them but my my um i my wife has never read penny arcade my 10 year old has never read penny arcade they don't know anything about acquisitions incorporated um i don't know if the other guy that was playing with us i don't know if he knew anything about acquisitions incorporated but just the base humor is quite funny the 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 stories you learn the the things you read it's corporate america humor based in a fantasy you know setting so it's funny regardless i i really enjoyed it it's quite humorous um so it was entertaining the whole time i will say that uh like really good legacy games it had something change with the board or the rules almost every game we were writing something on a card or on the board every game um there were there's 10 games until it's complete and there's a bonus one in there that's uh, i don't want to spoil but it's quite fun as well um, but there's just something going on every time we were pulling out cards, there was missions to do, there was always something interesting going on on the board. So it really combined what I thought was a great deck building game with a lot of humor, um, and some really interesting legacy mechanics. So, uh, you, one of the things you would do is you would have a roll card that would be added into your base deck. That's different than the base game. And you would also have, um, some check marks of grudging approval <laughs> that's what they call them that when your your manager actually approves of what you did they begrudgingly give you a check box mark on your box and you'd fill those out and they would give you additional rewards you know, it just did a really good job of making you feel like you were part of a a funny corporate structure so it was fantastic i think it's one of the best legacy games to date that i've played um especially if you're looking for something a little bit lighter yeah i, th- I would call it lighter than and certainly funnier than Pandemic Legacy. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we played it with a 10-year-old. He didn't do the best all the time. You know, he won one game out of 10, uh, but he had a blast playing it. I don't think he ever cared that he wasn't winning, although that's partially my 10-year-old just loves board games. So, uh, All right, well, the, the Legacy game that I completed was Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. And so kind of what's... I liked a lot about this game is that the theming is still great, but it is very much more of a Cold War uh, spy game than a, a game about you know pandemics. Although it is, as you start investigating, your the thing that you're investigating is the Soviet Union doing research on uh, biological warfare. Um, and so, in Pandemic, the normal game, you, you know, you're you're gathering the cards in order to get them together to uh, find a cure for the the various um, uh, diseases. 
in this one you will you'll have different uh, objectives for the game um, and one of the common ones involves the use of operation teams and every city has three different affiliations that are either an allied team a, a soviet city or a neutral city and so uh, you're collecting cities with those affiliations so that you can build an ops team of that particular affiliation um, and then the ops teams will have different um, things that they they can do in the game and and there is a pretty cool diversity of uh, different objectives that you can have from either infiltrating a site to uh, trying to chase down a fugitive or or things like that and so that's one thing that I think that it it gets really well. Um, I like that it felt like it was a th- thematic twist on pandemic while still feeling like it was a pandemic game. So so what are the are there still cubes going onto the board and outbreaks and things? So instead of this is this is one of the things that is um, a, a little bit different, a little bit interesting is that when you when you start the game, you get this this cool little passport on it that you take stickers to put on to like put what your disguise is. And when you when you start, you have just your it has three different pages: one for uh, an Allied passport, a neutral, and a Soviet passport. And when you start off, you're you're just using your Allied passport. As the game progresses, you um, develop aliases for the other affiliations as well. Um, and on the passport at the very bottom, there are little scratch off, uh, circles. And so each city has a surveillance rating. And so if I am in Moscow and if there isn't a safe house there, it it has a surveillance rating of one to three. Moscow has a surveillance of three. And so I would, if I start my turn in a city with surveillance, I scratch off a number of circles on my passport equal to uh, the number of surveillance that are on the city. So when you scratch it off, it could be blank. It could be something like you take a negative penalty that you put on your, put a, select a sticker to put on your passport, or it could be eventually, it'll, it could be one that says that your cover is blown and you can't use that uh, passport site anymore. So instead of drawing, when you're, at the end of each turn, instead of drawing cards to put out viruses, you are drawing and putting out agents and uh, and the enemy Soviet agents. Uh, one one big difference is that uh, when you in in pandemic, if you have three uh, um, three viruses in a city and you draw that city, it has an outbreak mm-hmm. um, that viruses get spread into the the other surrounding areas in this one you don't have the if you're at three agents and you draw another city card it doesn't um um, explode into the other ones instead you take an incident counter and place it on the city and then at the end of the month any city that has an incident token on it will get a surveillance, one surveillance sticker put on that city. Mm, So it gets more difficult. Yeah. The, yeah. So that's one of the 
biggest change is not having kind of the exploding viruses. Um, and I would say that that's a big change. The One of the common complaints, I mean, I guess complaints-ish about the game is that um, it's probably the, the easiest of all of the pandemic legacy games. Um, like from a difficulty perspective? Yes. Okay. Which it didn't really bother me. I still enjoyed it. And I was also playing with a group of people who this was their first legacy game experience. Although they're also very good gamers. And so, um, you know, that's, we, we were, we were able to play effectively as a team together. Um, so, so but, I, 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 maybe I should wait till you're done, but I, this question is just burning in my mind. If, if, if someone came to you and said, I've never played a legacy game before, but I wanted to play pandemic legacy. Would you encourage them to start with this one? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it would be a good intro to legacy games. I, it also, it does play into the overarching story of all three of the pandemic legacy games. And I think you're going to have a, a quite nice experience if you start at zero and, and play through the, the three games. There's obviously a lot of people who have, I mean, I, I played pandemic legacy one, and then Pandemic Legacy 2, and then went back and played Zero. And mm -hmm. I still enjoyed that experience. But if you were someone who was just starting out on the series, I, I would probably recommend starting at Zero. Okay, interesting. What about someone like me who's played the first one, but not the second one? Should I go on to the second one before I go back to Zero? Or does it matter? Um, I, don't, I don't know that it matters a ton. Okay. Um, to give you, I guess to give you an idea of the, the scoring or or the way that the months go usually uh so by about may you're doing three objectives a month and if you complete all three objectives then you get like the you know satisfactory uh grade if you pass two of them you get the uh you know passing grade and you still continue on to the next month without replaying the month and if you get one or zero of the objectives um, then it's a, a failing grade and you will repeat the, the month one time and then we'll proceed on uh, after that. So there's one prologue adventure and then the 12 months of the adventure. Uh, we, we pass the prologue with succeeding at all. And then in the 12 months, we passed it with 11 of the months. We got all three objectives and in one of the months we got two objectives um so we we did quite well um but again it's also i would say a, a little bit easier than some of the other uh pandemic legacy games yeah i, I mean i've only played the first one but it feels like with pandemic with like pandemic legacy one that there are certain months where there's nothing you can do <laughs> yeah it was like failing. yeah yeah <laughs> and there's you know there's gonna be sometimes the the one yeah i mean the one we failed uh, or that we got two of three of it would have been really difficult. I feel like to have have done it with all three, but yeah. Anyways, it does get a, a good recommend from me. Um, everyone who who played it with me said they had a a good time with it, and the it made them more interested in uh, legacy games in general. So yeah. So I have a question for you because um, 
I find it interesting. Most legacy games, I'm assuming the pandemic ones do the same thing. They tell you that when you finish your legacy experience, you can play it as a normal game after as you've completed. I mean, Risk Legacy did this. Uh, I believe Pandemic Season 1 did this. I don't yeah, remember. I think so. uh-huh. um, Clank Legacy obviously does it as well. It's sort of their... And so did... Uh, we finished... Um, oh, Betrayal Legacy. Oh, okay. Betray- Betrayal Legacy did the same thing, where you can... Once you finish the game, you can play it as a normal game. No more changes, per se, uh, but you play a customized board game. Do you think that that's actually a... A selling point? Do you actually feel like I mean, you I think ever, are, ever go back and play these games again? I, I would not, but I think that there is a certain subset of board gamers that are just cheap-ass gamers. <laughs> that, <laughs> that don't want to feel like it's going to be throwaway time. when you're Correct. Yeah. Like, in, in my opinion, I, I look at a legacy game, and if I get, you know, 13 plays out of that board game... Uh, that's way more than most board games get a <laughs> and b the in my opinion the the entertainment you know dollar per minute uh value is is pretty high as well so yeah i uh, uh, speaking of clank legacy as an example i believe it was a it may have been an 80 dollar board game I, for some reason i'm getting 60 dollars in my mind but it might have been 80 regard i bought it quite a while ago but it doesn't matter point being is that's about the same price point to take me and my four my three children and my wife to a movie right yeah and like that movie you know takes up 2 hours of my time right uh, for us whereas the board game uh, you know we spent i would say 18 hours total in 11 plays of clank which is way more than i get out of the average board game and we had a great time but i don't think i told my wife i'm like i you know i didn't throw it away yet but i'm like i'm pretty tempted to just toss it at this point because i really doubt that i'm ever going to get that game out again and play it yeah yeah. I, I think the only way i would maybe is if someone said hey do you have clank and i'm like you know i don't but i do have a a copy of a finished clank legacy we can play right yeah yeah um but it just seems very unlikely. So, yeah, I, I guess maybe they've got to put that in there for the people who just can't stomach the idea of playing a game and playing it, you know, 10 to 15 times and then never playing it again. But 10 to 15 times is more than most of the games I buy by yeah. a yep. pretty sizable margin. Yep. All right. Well, um, I guess let us know what you guys think of uh various legacy games or role-playing games or whatever. 